Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. Well, good morning, Quest. My name is Jeremy Shelley. I am the Family Life Pastor, and I'm excited to be with you this morning as we continue in this series, Meals with Jesus, which we've said already, these are the things that ultimately got Jesus killed. So this is going to be a fun message this morning. I hope you enjoy it. Now, this morning, we're going to be primarily in Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 24. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to go ahead and and open those up today. We're going to begin this message by reading this text in, in its entirety. And what I'd like you to do, the words will be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles, but what I'd like you to do is, as I'm reading these words to you, I want you to think about yourself and where you might fit into this exchange that Jesus has with the Pharisees. You know, if you were a part of this text, if you were there at this story, where would you be? Who would you have been? What character, what role might you have played? So let me, let me begin this morning with a prayer, and then I will read this text to us. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. May we understand what we are asking when we invite you into this space, into this place, into this moment. Let us see how we may fit into this text. And Lord, we we pray that we might choose to participate with your great redemptive project of bringing your kingdom here to this earth. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's Luke 14, verses 1 through 24. They read this way. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and he healed him and he sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
And he said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go examine them. So please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And so the servant came and reported these things to his master And then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done. And still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, I see myself in many of these roles. The, the Pharisees, the man who was healed, one of the guests uh, who didn't come to the banquet, even as one of the poor or the crippled uh, that finally was invited to come. And I think um, uh, for, for most of us, we, we could see ourselves in multiple different roles. But it's good, I think, for us to think through what this might say to us about ourselves. But for me, I resonate the most with the Pharisees there at the beginning. Uh, When I think about what they were doing, trying to protect the religion that they had followed for the entirety of their lives, and they had become masters of it and in it, I think this is where I see myself most easily as a protector of the faith. Not that I'm an expert of anything, but I, I resonate with them. Of course, Fortunately, we have this luxury of participating in this story from a 30,000-foot view. You know, we can, we can see the big picture that's going on here with Jesus and these Pharisees. And, and we, can, we can easily make good assessments of what is appropriate and, and what to listen to in this moment. But what if? What if this happened to us today? You know, would we see so clearly? If, if this morning... At this gathering, this this communion of believers, Christ came into us and, and said, this is the thing that you're doing wrong. This is where you have the flaw in your thinking. Uh, how many of us would respond to Jesus favorably? And, and, and especially if, if, if the man, Jesus, that, that came in was unrecognizable to us, would we respond to him well? And so, This unspoken part of the story, the influence uh, of this moment is what I love the most about Jesus. And there's a little context that I want to share with you. I think many of us have been trained to dislike the Pharisees, right? 
Anybody else with me? I know that's my normal position. We, we, we often think, you know, they're the villains of the story. After all, they were out to get Jesus. They're the ones that killed him. Even at the beginning of the story, Luke establishes this for us, that the Pharisees were watching Jesus carefully. We know who the antagonists are in this story, or at least we think we do. And it's the Pharisees, right? You know, they're watching him closely so that they could file a charge against him, make a complaint that would prove that he was a troublemaker out to destroy their religion. They were protecting what they held sacred. Now, to be clear, what they held sacred was truly a misrepresentation of what was ordained before by the Father. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Pharisees were correct in protecting their rules. I am, however, suggesting that we might do the same thing as the Pharisees. I know that I can do this. You know, I have to regularly check my motives to see if they are aligned with Jesus or with something else, which gets to the point. Jesus chose to accept an invitation to a Sabbath meal with the Pharisees. And at that meal, he noticed some things that did not align with the kingdom perspective that the Father had established centuries before, and he offered these Pharisees correction. Why? You know, was it, was it to shame the Pharisees? Did, did he want them to continue in their opposition of him? I, I don't think so necessarily. I, I think he took this invitation and gave them correction so that they could choose to follow him in his way of mercy, humility, and redemption. Jesus went to this meal to be with these people who he knew were opposed to him, and he offered them that redemption. How beautiful is that? That Jesus would extend grace to his enemies. Let's take a deeper look into this text and see how it builds on itself with this principle of extending grace. There, there are three episodes in this text. The first is the healing on the Sabbath. The, the second is the conversation about where to sit when invited to a dinner party. And, and the final is the culmination with the parable of the great banquet. And all of these moments, they take place in this, in this meal with these prominent Pharisees and lawyers. Each episode presents a clear offer to follow Jesus into redemption by surrendering status or man-made strata for a life of surrender and sacrifice in order that, that more people, more those, those people who are far from Jesus might experience his grace. So this first interaction, it's interesting because it implies that the Pharisees and the, the law experts, they, they recognize Jesus and his command and authority of the scripture. You know, for, for Jesus to even receive an invitation to come to this dinner indicates this. Uh, we read in earlier texts that Jesus had this Sabbath rhythm of going to the synagogue and, and studying the scriptures and then teaching on the scriptures. And this is certainly where the Pharisees would have been as well. And, and they, this explains why they would have invited him to come. They would have heard him teach and, and understood his mastery of the scripture. And it's certain that they would want to spend more time with him. This is why he was invited with them. And I, I, I see reflections uh, of this in, in Peter and Paul's life as well. Mastery of the scripture 
and the development of high-profile relationships in order to be a kingdom influence. Paul was one of Jesus' disciples, his apostles, and, and he, he made relationships with community leaders in Ephesus so that he could be an influence there. And Peter is the one who encourages us to always be ready with an answer about your faith. There's this sense of mastery of Scripture, studying it so that you can be ready in a moment's notice. So as Jesus asks then the Pharisees about healing on the Sabbath, their silence indicates what they knew, that they understood that he was correct uh, about the law and, and the Sabbath practices. And, and while they, they certainly had malicious intent to, to, to catch Jesus in a misdeed, they, they couldn't use this moment as a basis for that condemnation. Right? It's significant to mention, too, that in, in Luke chapter 13, just one chapter earlier, there's a mirror event in, in which Jesus heals on the Sabbath as well. While he was teaching in the synagogue, once again, uh, a woman who had been bent over uh, for 18 years, or she had just come to Quest and was lifting a bunch of mulch yesterday. Either way, she was bent over. Thank you, by the way, everybody who helped us. It was um, a tremendous thing. I feel it in my back. Lord, come heal me. <laughs> anyway, he heals this woman. She, she's been bent over for 18 years, and he heals her. And then he was, he was questioned about healing on the Sabbath. And his response actually humiliates the Pharisees. And then at least a week later, Jesus is doing the same thing. He's healing again on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are silent what this moment does for Jesus is that it establishes his status and full authority of the scripture, which then allows him to address this group of Pharisees, these experts of the law. He allows them to address them about what he's witnessed as they're sitting around this table. See, he sees these men choosing places of honor at this dinner table. This is episode two. And he offers them a parable to teach them a life lesson. And I, I think we, we sometimes miss this because we, we, we want the Pharisees to lose. And here he is trying to help them out. Uh, in my mind, I, I think of, of the way that I might talk to my son about something that I, I saw him do. Something that, that he could change in order that he wouldn't experience future possible humiliation. This is what Jesus is doing. He's modeling grace with these men in a place that's safe for them. And I might be reaching here, but I do know that this is, this is something that's true for me. I've experienced the correction of the Lord that's gentle, and it's designed to, to show me how to live without unnecessary pain and suffering. This is what Jesus is doing. Jesus wants these men to avoid humiliation among their peers while teaching kingdom principles of relating to everyone regardless of their social position. This is how followers of Jesus should learn to relate to others and ultimately minister in a needy world. Our relationships are not about gaining our own place of honor or rising up on the social ladder, but instead, with humility, we find ways to serve people that are in our lives. I've, I've been impressed lately uh, by a leader uh, that's demonstrated some of this. And I, I wouldn't say that this person is necessarily the, the perfect example to follow. Uh, but two things stand out that this person has done and said recently that indicate 
his ability to utilize his resources for the people, for people who may not be able to repay him. Anybody know who I'm thinking of? Uh, Elon Musk, right? He sent Starlink to the Ukrainians so they could stay connected to the rest of the world during this war with Russia, right? And, and he also said that it would, that though it would be detrimental to Tesla, which by the way, I'm okay with that. I like my gas vehicle, man. They just sound better. You know, it's more fun to pollute. I'm just kidding. <laughs> joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. We are stewards of this earth. Uh. Anyway, he, he said that although it would be detrimental to Tesla, that, that maybe the U.S. should consider producing more of its own oil. And once again, I don't think that Elon, Elon how do, his name, the, I don't think he's a model for, for all things you know, to follow, but these two moments indicate that he's willing to surrender his money and his resources in order to help others. And of course, um, there are certainly many, many, many other leaders who have demonstrated this kind of humility. In fact, I, I've, many leaders have also suggested that the, it's their humility that's been a part of their success, right? Anyway, Episode 3, we get to here, Jesus closes with the parable of the great banquet. This is really a summary of what Jesus has been saying. We have this dinner invitation that's declined for the wealthy host. This is a humiliating position to be in. To have someone turn down an invitation to his dinner would publicly shame him. And so essentially what Jesus is doing is he's making the statement that social status is based on peer review and approval and can be rejected at any time, which inevitably makes this wealthy host to be counted among those who were already rejected in the community and by the community, which in the world of Luke would have been those who were poor, those who were diseased, those who were sinners, etc., those who he eventually called to sit at his table. Social status is fragile. So why then would we try to cling to it with so much rigor? And I I believe that, that many of us can relate to the emotion that this host may have felt Right now, as I think of all of the, the children's birthday parties, the grad parties, and the weddings that I've either attended or hosted myself, heck, uh, even every lock-in or retreat or middle school camp, by the way, if you are the parent of a middle school student, make sure you register them for middle school camp. It's available on Church Center right now. Registration is open. It's going to be a great, great week. Anyway, I'm going to take a moment to promote my stuff too. There was a whole list of stuff earlier and the one thing that Ross did not mention. Well, I've got the microphone now, Ross. (laughs) Sign up. Sign up. Middle school camp. It's going to be good. Anyway, as I was saying, before the event... During the event, there's, there's this rush of, of panic thinking about all of those people who, who might or might not show up. Have any of you guys ever felt this? Right? You're, you're, you have this event that you've been planning for a long time and, and you think everyone's going to come. But if they don't, man, how is that going to feel? People really don't like me. I'm not as popular as, as I think I, I am. And, and you know, the, there's this fear of humiliation, which gets to this interesting point. You know, we can either choose to be humble the way Christ is calling us to, or we can let others humiliate us. 
what happens to this man, this host, is that he sees through the thin veneer of status. He doesn't continue to play the same game, which would mean delaying the dinner until a time when everyone else could come. Instead, he chooses to invite those who are outside of the social elite, those who have been cast out of the community. His, his understanding is transformed and now everyone is allowed at his table. There's, there's no exclusion at all. There's no one who's too dirty, none who's too poor, none who's too sick, or even too rich or too proud. They could all be counted as friends at this host's table. Essentially, what we see here, the host that Jesus is talking about, is the example that took Jesus' earlier advice about humility and is now offering room at his table to those who cannot reciprocate to him. They can't get back. They have no means to do so. And so he's essentially creating a new community that's grounded in gracious and uncalculated hospitality. This is precisely what Jesus was doing when he sat down to eat with his enemies. He desired to see his redemptive project of expanding the kingdom of God happen for these men, right? He knew that community is impossible to build with a prideful attitude. The grace of the table is something that's offered freely. It's something that we as followers of Jesus have received, I wonder why, then, it's difficult for us to choose humility in our relationships. I know it's difficult for me. When I engage in almost any relationship, I know that there's going to be some moment of tension that's going to come up. And I, and I think this is true for, for most every relationship. This is one of the, I think, more difficult parts of our mission here at Quest. We know that relationships can be difficult. They can be hard. And we also know that the more that people lean into Jesus, the more likely it is that the tension that exists or comes up can be resolved favorably, positively, and in a Christ-honoring way. Most of the conflict that we experience in relationships can be seen here in this text, in Luke chapter 14. You see, the Pharisees' goal, as we read it, is to, to be right, you know, to prove Jesus wrong. They wanted to win. They wanted to dominate. They wanted to look good. And these are four outcomes that are often present with many of us, too. When we experience tension in relationships, often we want to be the one who's right, We want to win the argument, right? We want to look good for the people around us. We want to dominate. I want you to imagine your last conflict. That's fun. Here we go. I want you to to imagine your last conflict. Uh, Maybe it's with a coworker. Maybe it's with a family member. Maybe it's with someone driving down the road that you don't even know that you're practicing sign language with. Maybe it is someone out there, right? Just imagine your last conflict. And and I want you to think about uh, if you can remember the first emotional response that you had in that moment. I know that might be hard to do. And maybe this is something that you can take time later this week to reflect on this. But more than likely, if you're anything like me, then in that conflict, what you felt, one of those first things that you felt was this need to be right. 
you know, to be the most knowledgeable person in that conversation around that table. Maybe you felt like you had to win at all costs. That person cut me off, so I'm going to speed around them and cut them off, and then I'm going to break check, and if they hit me, it's their insurance. It's never happened to me before. Right? Or, or, or maybe, maybe, like your goal, because you know you can't win, is just to look good in front of others. You don't want to look bad. You don't want to look like you're, you don't know what you're talking about. So you just want to look good. See, these are, these are very common emotional responses that we have because we are compensating for a lie that we believe. A lie that stems from the central place, this, the garden. The first humans to walk the earth were tempted with the idea that they could rule and dominate without a leader in their lives. They were told that they didn't need to follow the rules of another being, of God. And this is, this is the sin of pride. Pride that says, I have what it takes. I am enough. I don't need anything or anyone else in my life. Well, guess what? Pride obliterates community. If we put all of our faith in ourselves, then why would we ever invite someone else to our table? Why would it matter? I wonder how often do you consider what your preferred outcome in life looks like? You know, thinking into the future, what would you hope that your life would would be like? Will you be surrounded by a loving community? Or, or do you want to be alone? Some of you want that. You know, do, do you want to leave a legacy of love? Something that, that goes on forever through your family, through your children. Who, what do you hope the relationships that you have will be like because of you in the future? You see, what Christ is offering here in this story is a life that rejects the lie that pride is the only way to be right and instead says that when we lean into humility, not only will we bypass the pain of shame and humiliation, but we will also allow more people to experience freedom from shame. The table of Christ has seats around it for everyone who would come and sit with him. He invites everyone to come and to dine with him. There is no exclusion. Even the Pharisees are invited. We, though, exclude ourselves when we choose pride over humility. This means the work that that we have to do as a follower of Jesus is to find ways to choose humility over pride, over being right, over winning, or over looking good. This morning, we're invited to dine with Jesus as we celebrate communion with one another. Communion is is a meal that Jesus uses to help us see that humility is the ultimate way to follow him. You know, we're going to take a moment to remember that Jesus sacrificed his life for us. He, He took on our sins. He carried them with him to death. This was the ultimate act of service and humiliating. Without this excruciating moment, none of us would ever be able to experience the freedom of having a relationship with Jesus. And choosing to follow him, we too are choosing to do the same thing. In fact, Luke makes this statement the very next episode that he records after the great banquet. Luke chapter 14 verse 27 says... 
and this is heavy, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. (laughs) This is an invitation to whoever will choose to follow Jesus. And we shouldn't read this with the notion that we must literally carry a cross with us and later be crucified. I mean, if we did, we have to make a lot more room in this place for you guys to set your cross down next to you. We're not supposed to literally carry our cross, but it's to understand the depth of what it means to follow Jesus, that we might live oblivious to the pursuit of status. Not seeking to secure our future away by stockpiling possessions or money, but to identify with Jesus in his suffering. We don't put our trust, our hope, or our love into those things, but instead, our greatest love in life is Jesus and Jesus alone. And, and, and this is, of course, a process of growth. None of us will ever get this right every time. So in, instead, we posture ourselves to lean into the things of God and the way of Jesus. And today, I'm inviting you to consider what humility might look like for you. So as we close today with communion, may we invite the Holy Spirit to make plain to us how we can, with one foot in front of the other, live with and in humility? How can we check our desire to be right? How can we check our need to gain status and instead find ways to include others who have nothing to offer us? You know, we've talked about what it looks like to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, and and that can be risky. The great banquet, I think, is a great picture of this risk. We risk when we faithfully extend an invitation to others to experience the table of Christ. So today, here's what I want to do as we close. I'm going to read Luke chapter 22. And this is the account of the Last Supper that Luke records. And as I I read this, I want you to take your communion elements, your cup, and I want you to hold it in your hand. And as I read this story, I, I want you to... Feel the significance of what these elements represent. Right? We have the juice, this grape juice that that symbolizes the blood of Christ that he shed for us. And we have this, this piece of bread that symbolizes his body. Hold these in your hand. And as I read this story, I want you to imagine yourself at the table... Listening to the words of Jesus. If you have to, I encourage you to close your eyes. But pay attention to your emotions. What are you feeling as you hear these words? What do you think they represent to you? Knowing what you know about Christ and what he is about to experience after this meal, think about what his words mean. How real are they to you? Do you believe them? Do you trust them? So come Holy Spirit. The day of unleavened bread came. This was the day the Passover lambs had to be sacrificed. Jesus said to Peter and John, go and prepare the Passover meal for us to eat. And they asked, where do you want us to prepare it? 
Jesus said to them, listen, after you go into the city, you will see a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. Tell the person who owns that house, the teacher asks that you please show us the room where he and his followers may eat the Passover meal. And then he will show you a large room upstairs. And this room is ready for you. Prepare the Passover meal there. So Peter and John left and everything happened as Jesus had said. And so they prepared the Passover meal. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles were sitting at the table. And he said to them, I wanted very much to eat this Passover meal with you before I die. I will never eat another Passover meal until it is given its true meaning in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus took a cup. He gave thanks to God for it and said, Take this cup and give it to everyone here. I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until God's kingdom comes. And then Jesus took some bread. He thanked God for it. He broke it. And he gave it to the apostles. And then Jesus said, This bread is my body that I am giving for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup and said, This cup shows the new agreement that God makes with his people. This new agreement begins with my blood, which is poured out for you. And then Jesus said, One of you will turn against me. His hand is by my hand on the table. And the Son of Man will do what God has planned. But how terrible it will be for that man who gives the Son of Man to be killed. Now, if you'll take your bread and you'll eat, take your juice and drink, and know that Jesus has suffered for you, now will you humbly follow him? We have one more song of worship to sing, and so I'm going to invite you to stand. Let this be a moment to declare your trust in the Lord. Let's join in worship. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org slash give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.